Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It is somewhat ironic that today is Groundhog Day. Because if you are a movie fan, you'll undoubtedly remember the Bill Murray movie from 1993, Groundhog Day, where the same day repeats over and over and over again. It's kind of ironic that we're having this conversation today because it seems like we've had this conversation before. We're now joined by the CEO and executive director of Summerfest, Don Smiley. Don, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You beat me to that line. Okay. Well, 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 actually, I think I stole it from one of our mutual friends. So that's it. But okay. so, 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 tell what, what's going on. You know, I know you were very, very optimistic about getting Summerfest started in June and July. Not going to happen, huh? No, it's not going to happen. But we're still optimistic, and and we're enthusiastic about what's happening out there. It's just a matter of. Um, you know, from a vaccination standpoint, it just wasn't going to happen by June 23rd where the broader community would have the opportunity to be vaccinated by that time. So from all of the facts that we've gotten from health officials uh, within the Milwaukee area, Wisconsin area, and, and nationally, and other governmental officials, uh you know, we keep hearing that anyone who wants a vaccination by summertime uh, will be able to get one. So it, it became clear that, hey, this isn't going to happen for us by June 23rd. So we always had a backup model. A, um, uh, we had a June model and a September model. So given the way that the music business works, we didn't think it would be to our benefit or our a, a good choice for us to wait around to make this decision and not have the best shot at the best bands in September if we waited on this decision, and that's why we made it now. Well, to, to that point, Don, um, already one of the, the headliners that you had scheduled for June, Halsey, had already, I think, canceled her entire tour. So. Uh, was there a concern that there might be more performers who decided that they weren't going to be ready to go back out on the road by, by June or early July? Not really. I mean, we're having great success with bands that we had booked for June mm -hmm. and, and others that really weren't available until Glastonbury canceled in Europe. So it really is a worldwide business. There were other... I mean, Halsey also came out and, and announced she was having a baby. So, okay. I mean, I, I don't know that that was all COVID-related. Um, so that was, that you know, when, when we got that announcement from her management group, we said, congratulations, we'll see you next year, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as the other bands, I mean, we've, we've had great success. They're very cooperative and very... Um, open to what we're doing and again we're not the only ones moving to the fall i mean there's right. when you look at the business i mean there's there's other festivals and and um concerts that that are moving to the fall 
Well, I, I, I know. Even say fall. It's actually still summer. <laughs> right. I, well, I, I know. Right. So we're not going to call it September Fest. It's still going to be Summer no, Fest. No, right? you can't call it <laughs> September Fest or Fall Fest. It's still Summer Fest. That's correct. That's it. Well, I mean, because I, I know um, when you announce the, the lineup for 2020, the headliner act, I mean, I know a lot of people were excited. I thought it was just, just an absolutely killer lineup. Are you optimistic that you're going to be able to retain? if not all of those bands, a lot of those bands with the, the September dates? Yes. Good. Good, good. Don, I know one so, of the questions that people... It's a, it's a real chess game, and, you know, kudos to Bob Babish and, and Scott. Uh, you know, this is the fourth time we're booking this show. We did it in June of 20 and September of 20 and June of 21, and now September of 21. So... Um, Bob has done a great job in in juggling those balls and having, you know, multiple conversations with agents and bands and so on. And, you know, from what we know at this point in time, we we think we're going to have a stellar lineup. And there's a lot of pent-up demand. I mean, people want to see live music. They want to see a concert. They want to go to a Brewers game. But all of this is going to require these vaccines that are out there. And, you know, in the beginning, the, the, the rollout of these vaccines, I mean, obviously they're, 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 they're really challenging from a logistics basis, but as time goes on, it becomes smoother. I just heard a, 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 a cut in on, on the news here this morning that the White House now is going to start sending uh, vaccines to pharmacies. Well, if you get the CVSs of the world and the Walgreens of the world involved in this, who who are who actually do it on a day to day basis, I mean, I think that'll smooth things out and 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 make it go faster. So, um, that's kind of what we're banking on, and and it, it'd be really um, important, and it, it would be, um, you know, to everyone's. Um, advantage that Summerfest be held in September, not the least of which the 2,000 people that we hire to work with us. Right. Well, and, and that, I mean, to me, it just makes sense. If even you could have a festival in June, it would probably have to be scaled down as far as the number of people that you could let in. This way gives you more time to hopefully get back to that, that, that sense of normalcy where you, you don't have an artificially limited number of people that can come onto the grounds. Yeah, and, and you know, you really have to look at the amphitheater as well. I mean, if you had um, if you had some kind of restriction as to how many people are in the amphitheater, well, that means you would have to go back to artist ABC and say, look, we can only have, you know, 10,000 people in the amphitheater, so therefore we need to change what we're paying you. Well, I don't think that's going to go over real well. So I don't think it's economically feasible to, to have a model like that. I think, you know, the answer uh, therein lies with, with these vaccines and trying to get to herd immunity and all of these things that we've all been reading about and interested in to try to get back to some level of normalcy. Don, I know one of the questions that, that a number of people have is, does the decision that you're making with regard to Summerfest, what, if any, impact does that have on the ethnic festivals that, that follow mm-hmm. Summerfest typically? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, 
You know, each one of the ethnic festivals have their own board and operating committee. So it's really up to them to make a decision whether they're going to go or not. All of those organizations are, are, are uh, dependent upon legions of volunteers versus our, our situation where we have a paid staff and all of the part-time and seasonal people that we hire. So it's really up to the uh, individual ethnic festivals. For instance, Pride Fest has said, hey, we're going to possibly look at a later date. Well, we would, we would work with Pride Fest in trying to find them a date later in the, later in the season and so on. And if, a, and if a festival wanted to cancel outright, that's entirely their decision. Uh, one thing that is important for those that are going to go forward is that we have Henry Meyer Festival Park ready for them to to host their their fans. So, again, you know, there's always a lot more questions than there are answers when we're talking about this stuff. But we'll be ready to go if they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dan, let me let me ask you something just kind of completely off the topic we've been discussing, because a number of people have raised this with me. Moving forward, and I understand you are, I, I've always applauded you for being very, very future-looking. I know some of the festivals, the music festivals that are out there, have, have added a digital component, like maybe offering a stream that, that people could subscribe to. Has Summerfest ever considered doing something like that? We have done that. We have done that in the past, and it was a free stream. It wasn't a it wasn't a paid stream. So um, we've done it with uh, country music television, and we've also brought in uh, an independent firm to stream. It must have been 2018. So we we've done some of that, and, and to varying degrees of success or not. Uh, but I I don't think that in and of itself is an answer for staging and executing a live event. I think that's a, um, an add-on, if you will, and um, you know, it makes it a little bit more attractive to someone who lives in Philadelphia or Austin or whatever. They used to live in Milwaukee, and they want to stream in, or they want to catch a stream from Summerfest. Um, I think stuff like that works, but it, it, I don't think it's ever going to take the place of the live event. Right. So the, the, the bottom line from the news today is Summerfest, which this year is was going to originally be three weekends instead of like an 11-day festival. Um, it's moving from originally it's supposed to start on June 24th, but now it's moving to um, September 2nd to the 4th, the 9th through the 11th, and the 16th through the 18th. And, you know, you're, you're, you think that the lineup is going to be, all very much, very much the same. You think you're going to be able to rebook a lot of the acts, and you're, I know, looking forward to seeing all of us down there in September. Yeah, for sure. I, I think we're going to have a lot of success in, in not only booking the acts that we had, but if there is if fallout here and there, you mentioned Halsey, and we certainly wish her all the best. Um, but you know, we, we would we would need to fill that slot, and I don't think that's going to be a problem at all with with the amount of bands that are out there and want to and need to work at that time of year so uh we're, we're very optimistic about the actual content of, of the festival and what we'll have to offer our fans don smiley I, I know we always talk about how we live in interesting times this uh last year and a half has been interesting for you to say the least i imagine 
Jeff, I can tell you this for sure. You can take this to the bank. It's a whole hell of a lot easier staging one of these things than it is postponing or canceling it. I can tell you that for sure. We've been down this road before, and we don't need to go down this road again. I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. Absolutely. Well, you're, you're, you're certainly ahead of the game. Don, I appreciate you spending some time with us this afternoon. I think everybody understands the decision, and hopefully by September we'll be in a position where we, we, we can go back and we can enjoy ourselves and we can roll back the clock and enjoy a wonderful time down at the lakefront. For sure, and I really would like to thank our fans. I've been They've, they've been very patient. They're very loyal. Uh, they, they, they really do want to come back and see live music. Our sponsors have been excellent. And, and our and our our media partners such as yourself, thank you so much for uh, for being understanding and 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 being with us on this journey we're on. Don Smiley, take care. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Right. Don Smiley, executive director and CEO of Milwaukee World Festivals, um, explaining the decision. I'll offer a couple comments when we come back. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, as always, I appreciate Don Smiley coming on to discuss the decisions. And one of the things I think you do see with Summerfest, and I give him a lot of credit, it's it's there is a degree of transparency. I mean, what you hear is, is what you get. And they, I think, understand that there are still going to be issues. And he's very upfront about it. You know, they're talking about the rollout of the vaccine, and they want to have this return to normalcy. And I think depending on who you talk to, people are saying, okay, well, well, maybe by the start of the summer, maybe by the end of the summer. But as they're making their plans and they're looking at these things, they're saying, all right, well, we're already in February. You know, we're talking about something at the end of June, and we just don't think that you're going to have enough people vaccinated that's going to allow you to have the summer experience that that you you want i personally i still have some doubts also as to whether some of the these major acts are going to be back on the road by by june um, but regardless I, I think it's it's a prudent decision to make i'm sure it's a decision that, that nobody likes to make you know you, you want to just go ahead and believe me we all want to get down to the lakefront we all want to start going to the festivals and all but i mean i think given the fact that you know you were talking about the end of june and still that degree of uncertainty, it makes a lot more sense just to say, look, we're not going to try to rush this. We're not going to be held hostage by the, the vaccine rollout. Let's just buy an extra in 90 days or so and, and see where this all goes. To me, that's a very, very smart decision. And I give credit to the Summerfest folks for making that decision. And I know it's kind of painful and it's also lot of work that you have to go through to try to reschedule these. As far as the other ethnic festivals, Don Smiley said it's really on a festival-by-festival basis, and the folks that run German Fest and Polish Fest and Irish Fest and Festa Italiana, they're going to just have to decide, again, where they are. Now, the advantage that some of these festivals have is that they're, they're later on. You know, you're talking about, you know, the end of July or, you know, early early August, and so maybe they feel comfortable with buying more time. In addition, the other ethnic festivals that are at the lakefront, typically they don't they don't pack as many people onto the ground, so maybe that makes it easier for them to do. In any event, it's a decision that's going to have to be made coming up, and we will certainly keep you posted. But the big news now, Summerfest moving not moving from the beginning of summer to the end of summer. But Don Smiley seems very, very confident that the great lineup they had arranged is going to continue in place.
How cool is that? This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. couple people texting in asking if I think Summerfest will require people to be vaccinated as a condition of getting into the grounds. And my response would be, I, I think they'll cross that bridge when they come to it. I, I think it's very clear from listening to Don Smiley that the hope is that by the end of the summer, there will be enough people that will be vaccinated so that you're in a situation where you've got that that herd immunity that we we keep talking about so it won't be necessary to require you know vaccinations as a condition of being able to go to an event but i again i'm sure that's something that that plenty of time to worry about that the, the big concern right now is making sure that the vaccines get rolled out and making sure that anybody who wants to be vaccinated gets vaccinated because i think we all agree that long term that's the that's the way out of this a couple people also texting saying well when, when does this end you know are they going to keep delaying it and delaying it and you know they, they've you had this conversation before and it's true there is a groundhog day element to this conversation but it's because if you're a festival organizer or you you know you're a basketball team or a baseball team or you know whatever you're you're kind of at the mercy of what's going on in the world around you and so yeah you all you can do is react and see how things are, are going and yeah I, I hope there's no more delays that believe me I hope there's no more delays this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ So very glad to have you with us. All right, I have two examples of how it is hopefully not only entertaining and informative to listen to this show, but how it, it can be profitable. Now, last week, we started talking about the GameStop phenomena, if you will recall, and, and, and I, I know that ended up getting big news, but I think we were a little bit ahead of the curve on that, the fact that you had all these essential day traders who were driving up the price of this obscure stock. stock. I mean, GameStop is they, they sell video games at brick-and-mortar stores in malls. It's not exactly a business model that, that's designed for success, and the fair market value of it is probably the estimate around 15 to $20 a share. Well, I mean, everybody's aware of this now. You've got this, this sort of Internet mob that decided, let's just bid it up and bid it up and bid it up, and we'll try to hurt some of these hedge funds that have bet the stock is going to go down, and we'll try to make all this money. And it, it was a wild ride for a day or two. Now game stock is starting to come down dramatically, and I think people are trying to get out of it because if you hold it till the end, uh, you, you might tend to regret it. But, you know, people make their own decisions. But here's a note. Um, this is from one of our listeners, Jeff. He says, Jeff, thanks for, to you for opening your show last week with the GameStop news. It reminded me that I had shares from 15 years ago, haven't looked at them or thought about them in years. I called my broker and... Um, <laughs> I ended up making $14,000 by by selling a stock I had forgotten about. Okay, well, see, that's it. Sometimes it can be profitable. And then one of my favorite exchanges, um, one of our listeners, if you were listening to the program yesterday, in the 2.30 hour, uh, 2.30 segment, just kind of as a fun sort of thing, I started talking about shortages and 
We, we all understand with the pandemic, you know, people were rushing out and they were hoarding paper towels and they were buying two years supply of toilet paper. Not sure I quite understand why people were doing that, but, but people were buying the, the toilet paper and all that. And you had all these rushes on these different things. Well, one of the things that has been in incredibly short demand has been grape nuts, the, the cereal. And I, which is interesting to me because they're neither nuts nor are they grapes, but they, they call them grape nuts. But in any event, this has always been one of the more obscure cereals made by Post. And apparently what happened is because of the pandemic, there were changes that they had to make on the production lines, and some of the production lines had been shut down. So what they ended up doing is they ended up concentrating on the brands of cereal that were more popular. Now, I, I don't even know. I think Post makes Raisin brand, but just for the sake of argument, let's say you know Raisin brand is one of the more popular cereals. So what they did in order to meet the demand for Raisin Bran, in my example, they, they shifted production. Okay, we're not going to make grape nuts. What we're going to do is we're going to you know, shift that and we're going to make Raisin Bran because more people want to buy Raisin Bran. Well, the result of that has been that there is a shortage of grape nuts. And I was telling the story about how there's been this rush to on, on eBay and on Amazon, you know, people have been buying up grape nuts, and now the, the a, a box of grape nuts would typically cost five bucks, and now it is not uncommon to see it selling for twenty to twenty-five dollars a box because, again, you you can't get it. And I, I understand all the supply and demand sort of stuff, but still, it's like. You know, really? $25 for a box of grape nuts? In any event, I got a series of texts from one of our regular listeners. Here's what he says. Jeff, thank you for telling your audience about the grape nut shortage yesterday. I went to Walmart. I bought the last six boxes. I then sold them on the North Shore Marketplace on Facebook. Tomorrow, I will take the $150 I made and go to Walmart and buy $150 worth of other cereals and donate them to repairers of the breach food pantry and the homeless shelter on Valite. So I, I get this, and sometimes you get these texts, and you, you know you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt. But I want to follow up, so I, I sent this person a note back saying, "Are you saying that you really get 150 bucks for six boxes of grape nuts?" He says, "Yes." I sold six boxes at $25 each within four hours. You would not believe the names I was being called for price gouging, etc. I was told I should donate the boxes to a homeless shelter. That doesn't make any sense. It's only six boxes. Some people play checkers. I play chess, I guess. But so in, in this context... Uh, I, mean, I appreciate it. Somebody heard it and said, hey, there's a shortage of grape nuts. And so at least in this particular case, the listener went out, got it, was able to essentially price gouge, I guess, on the stuff, but it's grape nut cereal, and he says he's going to take the $150 and buy all sorts of stuff which gets donated to the food bank, which to me is a good use for all of that. But the bottom line is, you know, whether it's game stock or grape nuts, you know, keep listening to the program. We will keep you informed of all the latest trends. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about this controversy in Sun Prairie about a lesson that... Some administrators and some parents just think was completely and totally inappropriate. We'll discuss in just a moment, and I'll explain. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, are our friends at All-American Window and Door. They're the experts at making your dreams a reality. You know their number, 262-255-7170, or find them at allamericanwindow.com. We'll tell you a little bit more about them a little bit later. All right, I'm intrigued by your reaction to this story. Now, I understand that when it comes to, to schools, there's always a fine line between education and propaganda. And our, our standards of what might have been appropriate to teach, for example, when I was going to school, might have changed now by, by 2021 standards. Th- this story, though, I, I find intriguing. Now, let, let me kind of back into this. I think you can make a strong argument that slavery is uh, uh, the, the original sin of America. You know, and and you're seeing the cancel culture is now using the fact that slavery, as awful as it was, was accepted at the time that this country was founded as a basis for canceling founding fathers. You know, last week we talked about the story about in San Francisco, they're, they're they're taking the names George Washington, and they're taking the names of James Madison, and they're taking the names of Thomas Jefferson and Paul Revere. Off, off of school buildings because they, they were slave owners or had some connection to slavery. And, you know, because they, they did that in 1780, well, now in 2021, we, we can't recognize them as our founding fathers. All right, but, but there's no question that, that slavery did exist. And slavery, by the way, existed, you know, before the United States. I mean, you know, slavery goes back to biblical times, for goodness sakes. So the question becomes... In today's day and age, can you can you even discuss the concept of of slavery? Can we teach slavery in in schools? And I'm not talking about slavery in the United States in the 1700s. I'm talking about slavery. Period. So here's the controversy. If you haven't seen it, um, Sun Prairie Middle Schools. The way that's presented in the Madison papers, a small group of teachers at a Sun Prairie mid- Middle School have been put on leave after they used an activity for sixth graders with a question on how these students would punish slaves. Right. So th- this was a series of teachers, and they were doing this exercise in class. The activity gave the sixth grade students a scenario in which a slave stood before them who had, quote, disrespected his master by telling him, quote, you are not my master, end quote. The question then asked students how they would punish the slave and explained that under Hammurabi's code, which was a set of laws in ancient Mesopotamia, the slave would be put to death. Right, so they're they're teaching. I mean, this is an example that they're using to teach slavery in ancient Egypt. Okay, um, the couple, uh, at least a couple of the kids, you know, went home and told their parents about it. A couple of the parents started to complain. The school district sent out a letter. We are writing today to apologize for a grave error in judgment that occurred during sixth grade social studies instruction at Patrick Marsh Middle School. Superintendent Brad Serin, along with other administrators, said in an email. Um, they say that the uh, their goal 
Of course, they, they say the resources that they used where this came from was unacceptable. It's um, inappropriate of this lesson on slavery. guy from the Boys and Girls Club of Dane County said the assignment was insensitive and totally inappropriate, especially on the first day of Black History Month. Um, the Sun Prairie Area School District said it's not part of the district's curriculum and will not be taught again. Students who were given the assignment should not be complete, should not complete it. It's unclear how many teachers were involved. Okay, our, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, everybody out in Dane County is apparently completely outraged o- over this. Um, they have one person of color on the school board who said that if the teachers had consulted her about the lesson's appropriateness, she would have quickly denounced this. Um, the principal said the purpose of the assignment was to teach students how order was kept in Mesopotamia and how unjust the laws were in the ancient civilization. The woman on the school board says this missed the mark, upset parents and students, and hurt our African-American community. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here is my question. Is this exercise inherently offensive? And do the teachers deserve to be disciplined or or fired over this? And I guess I I look at this, and I mean, look, if if it's not part of the accepted curriculum, that that is, of course, an issue. At the same time, given all the stuff that's being taught in in public schools, at least as far as I can tell, this did not involve role-playing. So it's not like they they chose a a student of color and, and made them be the slave, and then you had the white master. Because, by the way, this is set in ancient Egypt, where, you know, so you have, you know, you have different races to, to begin with that, that are out there. <laughs> but I guess the question becomes, can we not even talk about slavery? I mean, clearly the, the purpose of this was to teach kids about, all right, th- these are the laws in ancient Egypt. They, by the way, had slavery in ancient Egypt, and this is how they, they enforced these laws. And if a slave spoke back, talked back to their master, well, one of the things that could happen is that the slave could find themselves I'm being put to death. All right, now, can we not talk about that sort of thing in in public schools nowadays? I mean, don't we want to teach kids about how terrible slavery was? Like I was saying at the start of this conversation, I mean, I do think you can argue that it's, it's the original sin in America. But, I mean, slavery goes back thousands of years. Don't we want to educate kids on the horrors of slavery? And, and don't we want to make a statement saying, can you imagine living in an environment where, first of all, you know, one group of people owned another group of people, and secondly, this is what could happen. People could be put to death merely by talking back in this particular fashion. I mean, is this inherently offensive? And look, and I understand this is Black History Month, but th- does that really make any difference? Can we not even talk about slavery, even if we're trying to teach the ramifications and the horrors of it 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line let's see let's start with the text jeff the cancel culture has gone too far we have to acknowledge our history good and bad to be able to learn from our mistakes as a country instead of trying to wash away our history like it never existed <laughs> and of course in this particular case it's not even the history of our country we're, we're back i mean they're teaching about ancient 
history. Jeff, I don't necessarily find it offensive, but I just think it was stupid to pose the question in this climate, especially in Dane County, the land of the perpetually offended. Well, I, I guess that's the that's the question. Can can we not even talk about this? We, can we not even discuss the fact that you know slavery existed, that it existed in this country, but it existed in other countries for thousands of years? I mean, how how do you teach this? And how do you try to teach the horrors of this? And how do you try to teach a new generation, in this case of sixth graders? I mean, this is this is how it worked. Can you even imagine that somebody could be put to death for doing this? And now the teachers get suspended for doing this, Jeff. I think this is um, thanks to the uh, thanks to the liberal public um, school system. Jeff, um, the optics on this teaching moment are horrendous. Students can learn about something without reenacting parts of it, even if it were appropriate. Running this past the administration first would have been smart. Well, I, I don't think they're, again, they're, they're, you're not role-playing. It's, it's, all right, this is the example that, that's there. How would you have punished this? And, oh, by the way, under the Haramani's Haram, Haram, Code, this is how it was punished. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, my I guess my initial reaction is it's a little too uh, heavy a subject matter for sixth graders. To me, that sounds more like a um, AP history course in high school or even a college history course. Absolutely agree with you that you cannot hide from the past what happened. History is history, and it is what it is. Uh, it just seemed to me a little inappropriate for sixth graders. Well, it's just, so it's not necessarily the what you think is they're just too young to to appreciate the the horrors of slavery. I think so. I, I don't. I think they can't probably appreciate it, and um, they're also, you know, a little more sensitive, and it might be hard for them to handle too. So I think that's for a more mature uh, grade, personally. Okay. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. I, I mean, I'm not sure I agree necessarily, Mike. I mean, it's a sixth grade social studies course, and and my guess is. I mean, they're, what they're doing is they're studying, uh, again, laws of the world and, and the history. And it seems to me, by the way, if, if you're going to get to, a, a con- if you're going to have a conversation about a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world today and this country today, you, you have to have a conversation that, that starts with the whole notion of slavery. And I guess I'm just wondering how you can have that conversation if we, if we can't teach it, if we can't talk about it, if we can't use examples of how horrible it was. And my guess is the vast majority, probably all of those sixth grade kids who got this example, that their, their reaction was, you can really, you mean they could put somebody to death for saying something like this? I, I think, again, that would be the reaction. Now, if you want to criticize the, the teachers for using this lesson plan without running it past the principal or, or whatever, okay, I, I get it. But at the same time, in 2020, is this really so offensive that we can't talk about it? Is this now the ultimate taboo? And if it ends up being the ultimate taboo that you can't have a conversation about it, how in the world are we supposed to educate people uh, about slavery? But again, I, I think I really see this as part of this overall cancel culture that, that's out there and this idea that you know any idea and any concept 
regardless of the context, it, it, the, as long as somebody might find it to be offensive, we, we, we can't teach it, or we can't talk about it, or we can't discuss it, or we have to whitewash it. We, we can't have George Washington's name on a grade school. We can't have Thomas Jefferson's name on a grade school. We can't have Paul Revere's name on a grade school. We can't have Francis Scott Key, the guy that wrote the uh, national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. We, we, we can't recognize any of that stuff anymore because... Well, all right, well, why? Well, because they own slaves. Well, okay, well, we can't even teach why slavery was bad anymore. At some point in time, I think you have to take a step back and you have to say, look, we, we have to, we cannot start editing history. You have to teach history good and bad, and you have to allow people to learn from that. And th- this uproar in Sun Prairie, I guess I, I kept watching and watching, and I was thinking, okay, were they role-playing? And I don't think they were. I mean, it's not like they were saying, okay, you're, you're going to be the slave, and you're not. I mean, I think it was just this lesson plan that was out there, and it's run afoul of some of the parents who were offended by it. The school district now is coming down on the teachers. I will tell you, in this politically charged climate, I don't know how you, I don't know how you are a social studies teacher in today's day and age, period, because pretty much anything you do is going to be subject to criticism. All right, when we come back, all right, you go to the sports bar, but you can't watch TV. What are they doing with the pepper spray? And do we build fences around the Capitol? Stick around. It's all coming up. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So glad to have you with us. All right. I get criticized from time to time because I I make no mistakes about being defiantly pro-law enforcement. And I, I think that a lot of times it's real easy to second-guess decisions that oftentimes come down to life-or-death decisions. And people will go back and they'll say, well, the officer shouldn't have done this, or in retrospect, the officer shouldn't have done that, or whatever. But the truth of the matter is you have to make split-second decisions that involve, what what do I do? 17-year-old kid just pulled the gun on me and has pointed the gun at me. What, What do I end up doing? The guy's reaching for the knife. What do I do? I'm, he's, I've tried to tase him. I can't restrain him. So there's all these decisions. Decisions. And it's really easy to come back and say, well, you shouldn't have done that and shouldn't have done this. But, but hindsight really is twenty twenty. At the same time, there are other situations where I think it is fair to say, wh- what exactly were you thinking? And this is a story that comes out of Rochester, New York. It's starting to get traction nationally. But it involves the police who ended up handcuffing and pepper spraying a 9 or a 10-year-old girl. Now, if you haven't heard this, this happened last week um, about 3.30 in the afternoon. And the what occurred was that the mother of the child had apparently made a phone call to the police and said that, Okay, her, her daughter is out of control, and the daughter's father, who is not her husband, um, you know, they're, they're in a confrontation out in the yard. And the daughter is, of course, is 9 or 10 years old. What ends up happening is the police officers then, they, they, they roll up 
on this, and they find this nine-year-old kid who is actively um, screaming at, at the man. So they're, you know, she's yelling, and she's pretty much you know, out of control. She's screaming at her father. The police show up. They end up with like nine different police officers on the scene. Um, the girl is then taken to the ground, and in the part, portion of taking her to the ground, she's also pepper sprayed. Um, at one point in time, she says, can you please get the snow off me? It's cold. And one of the officers says, you had your chance. Another one says, get in the car now. Um, so they pepper sprayed this 10-year-old who was, uh, again, acting up, who wasn't complying with their instructions to calm down. But regardless, it, it wasn't like she had a knife. It wasn't like she had a weapon. And by the way, did I mention, you know, she's nine or 10 years old. As it also turns out, they think that the child has some mental health issues and might have been having sort of a manic issue while this was going on. But nevertheless, the police ended up, you know, pepper spraying her, handcuffing her and putting her in the car. The police chief said that she indicated that she wanted to kill herself and that she wanted to kill her mom. Officers tried to force the girl into the patrol car. She pulled away, and then they took her down, and then they handcuffed her, and in the process of doing this, they also pepper sprayed her. Well, this is getting a lot of attention. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Police had body cameras, so chances are perhaps if you've seen this story, you understand what, what's going on. But they clearly maced the nine-year-old, and they clearly got physical with her. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, even from my perspective as somebody who is, I think, very, very much pro-law enforcement, I think you have to look at this stuff on a situational basis. You had a nine-year-old in this case, admittedly a nine-year-old who was out of control, but it's a nine- or a ten-year-old, and she doesn't have a weapon, she's screaming, etc. I just don't see how you can have police officers throw her to the ground, pepper spray her, and handcuff her. There has to be a better way of getting a manic nine-year-old under control than having police officers get physical with her. Doesn't there? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And these police officers, two of them have been suspended for excessive use of force. You know, predictably, you have a number of protesters who are now, you know, again, descending on the courthouse and demanding all these actions be taken against the police officers. This is one that I, I look at, and I've looked at several of the, the body camera things, and I am thinking, what, what were you thinking? It's a nine-year-old girl. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're first. Uh, hi, good morning. Uh, it, it, good morning. Looks, it looks horrible. Uh, I believe it looks horrible. Uh, two grown men can't handle a nine-year-old girl. That's, 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 that's pitiful. Um, but also, just think about, well, what if a parent did this under similar circumstances? The parent would be in prison, you know? You would lose custody of the kids. How are we going to allow other people to do that to children? That, no, that's fine. Okay. Thank you. Okay, well, let me... Uh, okay, well, thank, okay, thanks for the call, Mike. I, I appreciate it. Now, 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 the flip side, and I'm getting a couple texts saying, okay, Jeff, what, what would you have had them do? You get this call 
that there's this this kid that's kind of out of control. <clears throat> they arrive. <clears throat> you get this report that the girl is suicidal. She's yelling. She's screaming. She doesn't want to comply. Now she's nine years old. And so the, the officers chase her down, and they take her to the ground, and they restrain her. One of the officers says she's acting like a child, and she says, I am a child. All right, and then they, they pepper spray her in order to get her to, to calm down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it's fair to say, what, what would you have done in this situation? And I think my answer would be, I would have done a lot of other things before I'm going to have two police officers decide that you're going to get physical and pepper spray a nine-year-old who poses no threat to you, no threat to the overall community. And maybe this is a situation where, I don't know, you, you, you try to control the situation, and then you call the social workers or somebody, as opposed to getting physical with the 9-year-old. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We continue the conversation in just a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I, I think, especially in today's day and age, I think police officers need to be careful when they're dealing with certain volatile situations. And if it's a situation where it's life and death for the police officer, I'm always going to be one of those people that, that gives the police officer the benefit of the doubt. The guy was reaching for a gun. guy was reaching for a knife. guy was behind the wheel of the car driving at state at the state at the police officer. Okay, you you, you got to, I think, resist the urge to kind of Monday morning quarterback certain decisions. Now, this case out of Rochester, New York, that's now getting all this national attention, that this wasn't a life-threatening situation for the police officers. They roll up on this call of a domestic dispute. What they do is they find an out-of-control 9- or 10-year-old girl you know, in front who's yelling and screaming. She won't calm down. Now, see, she doesn't obey the orders of the police officers to calm down, and they end up getting physical with her, taking her to the ground, handcuffing her, and then ultimately pepper spraying her. She didn't have a weapon. She wasn't attacking anybody. She was screaming, clearly in the middle of a manic episode. Yeah, and I think there's all sorts of things that they could have done to handle this differently. Fred on the west side. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, you know, those domestic situations are... You know, obviously, you know, very, very emotional, you know, and I think if the um, uh, the police officers or the departments have to be more conscious of, of the type of call it is and uh, who they're sending out there uh, to deal with, you know, uh, some some younger person and where it's domestic, because in our society today, there's a lot of divorce and, you know, the kids hate, you know, one or the other parent or, you know, maybe a mixed family. You know, and so the, the the kids get out of control, and the parents are out of control. So it's extremely difficult for all parties, and and the police uh, officers have you know a very difficult time today. Criticize, like you say, you know they have to act in the moment. But I think they could be more comfortable if they if they have more training in that aspect of, of dealing with uh, emotions. You know, where there's no weapons and, and involved. Right, and, and this is a kid. I mean, it's it's not like you're dealing with a, a 30-year-old guy that weighs 250 pounds and is in a menacing situation. You're, you're dealing with 
an out-of-control 9- or 10-year-old, which to me, you, you don't treat that 9- or 10-year-old the same way you would treat a, a 30-year-old guy that weighs 280 pounds and poses as some sort of danger to you. You know, I worked in human services for 21 years, and um, you don't always have the support, you know, that, that you need uh, in your department uh, in the training because they – they don't have budgets to train for every situation, and um, a lot of times the individual, uh, you know, uh, 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 party uh, officer or or social worker has to respond to situations they're not comfortable in. You know, and I was in many of those where you, like you say, you have to make a split decision, and you pray to God you make the right decision. You know, and, sure. and yet your conscience will bother you. You know, later on. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and a matter of fact, this comes on the heels in, in Rochester, New York. They've apparently had a, a controversy involving the, the, the treatment of a, of a mentally ill um, black man who w- was in distress. And, the, you know, there's criticism of the way they handle that. Um, here's a couple texts. Jeff, my wife and I adopted two special need girls through the foster care system and both have emotional outbursts. There is a special way to deal with this. I can only imagine seeing adults incarcerated didn't help. It could have been handled better. And by the way, I'm a big supporter of the police. Jeff, have you seen the court TV video? They pepper sprayed her when she was in the car. The officer who sprayed her sounded like he did so only out of frustration. I don't believe that there was a threat. I think, you know, that's that's part of the deal. I think she was restrained after, I mean, the, the situation was under control. At least she was controlled. She was taken down to the ground and then she was handcuffed, and she was pepper-sprayed when she was in the car. Um, Jeff, during the first several minutes, the officer was nice to her. He tried to talk her down, but the video doesn't show what happened to suddenly cause him to use pepper spray. And see, and that's the, that's the distinction. Jeff, this seems to me like an overreach. What's next, a taser, a tranquilizer dart? An unarmed child poses no threat to the officer. Give her a time out. I guess I look at these things, and, and that's that's how I, I see this. And, look, I appreciate that we're, we're putting more and more demands on police officers, and we're expecting them to not only be law enforcement officers but part-time social workers and things of, of the like. But when you roll into a situation where you're dealing with a 10-year-old, seems to me you've got to treat that situation differently than if you were dealing with a 17-year-old or a 27-year-old or, or a 37-year-old, and there has to be a better way than physically taking down the 10-year-old, handcuffing her, and then pepper-spraying her when she's in the back of the car, no matter how out of control she is, because she's 10 years old. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. As long as we're talking about law enforcement, this is an announcement that it's, it's probably, it's, it's, as a matter of fact, it's not surprising. It's been coming for a while, but it is, nevertheless, I, I think it's, it's a loss for the people in Wauwatosa. Barry Weber, who has been the Wauwatosa police chief since 1990, announced 
actually yesterday, that he's going to be retiring from the police force effective June 1st of this year. Um, Again, he's been the police chief in Wauwatosa for the last 30 years. I've had an opportunity to, you know, work with, you know, Barry Weber in a variety of capacities, and he's been a frequent guest or an occasional guest on the program. And he's one of these guys that's just really, truly a a good guy. And I, I understand that he's found himself in the center of certain controversies, and you've got some people in Wauwatosa who like to protest and have decided that, first of all, they were going to make an issue about Joseph Mensa, who was the former Wauwatosa police officer who was involved in multiple shootings. They decided they were going to make Mensa the bad guy, <clears throat> demand that Mensa be removed from the force. And when Barry Weber wouldn't go along with the demands of the small mob, what happened is the mob turned on Barry Weber, and they were demanding that he be removed, etc., etc. And it's led to a bunch of controversy in Wauwatosa. The one thing that I, I will tell you, and I, I know for certain, is that this is not the mob forcing um, Police Chief Barry Weber out in, in Wauwatosa. I, I don't know that I'm telling tales out of school. I, I, I think that um, Chief Weber had plans to, to retire a, a while back, and then you had Wauwatosa suddenly become the, the center of all these controversies, and I think the decision the chief made is, well, okay, I'm not, I'm not leaving when we're in the middle of of all this stuff. Number one, I think I have a job to do, and I think I owe it to the department to get us through this. And secondly, to the extent that anybody would interpret this as me allowing the mob to run me out, I'm not going to do that either. But I think this is a retirement thing that had been in the works for a while. Like I say, he's eligible for retirement. I think he'd been planning it for a while, and this is just a logical time to move on. I, I don't know... You know, what Wauwatosa is going to do to replace Barry Weber, I'm sure that there will be a a broad search. I know that there's going to be certain segments of the community that are going to try to use the the ability and the fact that you're looking for a new chief as their opportunity to try to, I don't know, impose their own particular brand of political correctness on Wauwatosa. How far that goes, I I just, I mean, I, I don't know. But, you know, Wauwatosa's got some issues. It's a wonderful community, but at the same time, it borders Milwaukee. So what you're finding is some of the the crime problems in Milwaukee have have been spilling over. You know, you've got a a really interesting and diverse population. There's some very wealthy areas of Wauwatosa. There's some areas that aren't quite as wealthy. So you've got all that going on. I think Barry Weber has been a great chief, and I, I think he deserves to be wish well, wished well in his retirement. Um, I think moving forward, it's an important decision as to who replaces him. And I hope, again, the Fire and Police Commission, to the extent that they're going to get pressure from some of these sort of fringe groups that have been out there, I hope they're able to resist that pressure and, and really come up and hire whoever the best candidate turns out to be for the job. But regardless, I think everybody should be wishing Chief Weber well. Um, he served the community in an admirable fashion for the last 30 years, and um, he deserves a well-earned retirement. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this overkill? 
Now, we all understand we're in the middle of a pandemic, and we've been trying to balance the, the needs of commerce, you know, people to do business, people going out and travel, versus an unreasonable spread. And that's what it's been all about from the beginning to me, the idea of trying to flatten the curve to make sure that we're doing stuff that stops the hospital systems from being overwhelmed. All right, in Southern California, they, they've been getting hit particularly hard by COVID. And they've had a, a mandate. Restaurants have essentially been closed for the longest time. They've been closed to indoor dining, and they've been closed to outdoor dining. Can't even sit outside in Los Angeles and eat. They've just changed that. So la- effective last Friday, I believe, they allowed restaurants to start opening up, not for inside dining, but for outside dining. Here's the deal. Under the new rules, um, dining service limited to 50% capacity, tables have to be positioned at least eight feet apart. Outdoor seating limited to no more than six people per table, and everyone sitting together must be from the same household. So in other words, I guess if my wife and I want to go out to dinner with our friends Alan and Patty or Mike and Kathy or whatever, that doesn't matter. We can't, we can't sit at the same table with them. All right, that's Los Angeles, but it's fine. They're, they're trying to control this, and that's how they try to balance the idea of being able to allow the restaurants to open. There's one other thing that is included in the rule. Now, a lot of these restaurants and bars have televisions because a lot of the people that go you know, like to watch the game or whatever. All right, as a condition of reopening, you are not, if you are the bar or restaurant owner, allowed to turn on the televisions. And this includes for what do we have coming up this Sunday that the Packers should have been a part of? Oh, yeah, we have the Super Bowl. They're not allowed to turn on the televisions during when they have people eating or, or drinking or whatever because they say that what happens is, When there's a sporting event that's on, basketball game, football game, or whatever, it is not uncommon for people to yell, shout, or scream during the excitement of the game. And even if people are masked while sitting outdoors, you know, if they are watching the game, they will not be able to control themselves. They will yell at the game, they will cheer, they will make noise, and they risk Again, spreading germs to other people who might be around. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, I think this is just absolutely ridiculous. I understand the other rules that are being put in place, but at some point in time, I mean, this kind of strikes me like what what they did in Madison where they said, okay, it's Thanksgiving, and we're not only just going to discourage people from getting together with people outside their own households, even if they're related to them for Thanksgiving, we're we're going to impose an order that says it's it's a violation of our health code to do this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, I guess I look at this and say, if you really believe that it is too dangerous to allow people to gather together in an outdoor setting, and watch a sporting event, well, then maybe you should leave the place closed. And secondly, let's talk about the law of unintended consequences. You keep the restaurant or the bar closed. 
right? What what is that going to mean? Does that mean that people aren't going to gather to watch the Super Bowl? No, it means that people are going to go over to other people's homes, and you're going to sit in people's living rooms, and you're going to watch the Super Bowl, where there's even more, I think, likelihood, if you're inside, that you might spread the coronavirus. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What do you think? You can't turn a television on in a bar or a restaurant. All right, is that good advice or is that overkill? Jeff, does anything that does anything the crazies out in California do surprise you anymore? Um, no. Jeff, I think this is absolutely absurd. Jeff, thanks a lot for bringing up the Super Bowl. Okay, I understand that you know we're we're all a little bit tense on that thing, but the idea that you know we can't trust people to watch a sporting event because they're going to be inclined to cheer and if they in fact cheer or shout that might help spread the virus if it's really that bad i mean maybe you shouldn't go out period where does this all end 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line should we be ordering tvs shut off in bars and restaurants because well people might yell at the tv or they might cheer or is that a bridge too far to me a bridge too far 855-616-1620 back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj Jeff, at some point, we all need to put on our big boy pants and start to live our lives. Intelligent Americans will make the best choices for their safe, the safety of themselves and others. Those who do not, as you say, go with God. The government needs to start backing out of our lives a little bit and move on with life and commerce in this country. And I do think you get to a point where you start micromanaging things to a crazy level. Um, and, and this is the, the, what you're seeing. This is in California. Okay, we're going to open up the bars and restaurants, 50% capacity, only outdoors. You can't dine with anybody outside your immediate family. Oh, all right, all right, all right. But then we can't have the televisions on because, gee, you might get too excited watching the game on television, and you might cheer. And and if you if you cheer. Well, then you risk spreading it. I mean, really, at some point in time, the, the people that make these, I, I, you, you can't even describe this stuff as ridiculous anymore. Here's Lou says, this is all getting ridiculous. I just ran the CDC calculator on my chance of being hospitalized for COVID, taking into account my age, my health, and exercise frequency. I have a 9% chance, plus I already had it in November. Stop killing these small bars and restaurants with stupid rules. It's been a year already. If you're high risk, don't go to Super Bowl parties. Um, well, yeah, I think there is an element of that. Jeff, soon they will be marketing the Iron Maiden face mask for everybody to wear. At least they can put sports teams' logos on them to celebrate the game. Yeah, I kind of like that. That Maybe that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, okay, if you want to go out in public, what you have to do is you have to find one of those like Hannibal Lecter masks, and you have to put that on, and that's how you will protect yourselves. Jeff, how far can you go? This is ridiculous. Please don't let Tony Evers, you know, hear that. Well, um, that's it. Jeff, it's the fun police at it again. No fun for everyone. Well, I acknowledge you have to have a balancing between this. You know, and again, you, you and I get it. I understand why you've got the capacity limits. I understand why you're, you, they're saying, okay, you, you can't eat with anybody outside of your own home. But really, 
I mean, really, we're going to not let the TVs be turned on? And I almost hesitate to talk about this because you know that there's probably some people in Madison who are thinking, huh, no TVs turned on. Maybe maybe we can add that to our health order, too. Can't go over to your parents' house and have Thanksgiving dinner with them. And no TVs in bars. Just saying, it's happening in California. If you think it can't happen here, well... Um, just be prepared. All right, I, I want to move on because there's we, we touched on this briefly last week, but it, it's it's still in the news, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Now, the my pillow and my pillow was an advertiser on my program for for a while. I love the product. I love the product. The owner founder of my pillow is a guy named mike lindell and you've undoubtedly heard about mike lindell mike lindell a huge 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 trump supporter who was one of the guys that's been touting the election was stolen all that sort of stuff and and he's been up to his neck in this and he's been a very very controversial figure controversial in the sense that that he's aligned himself with former President Trump pretty much, you know, all, all the way. So what's been happening is a number of companies have decided that they are not going to carry the MyPillow brand pillow anymore. Bed Bath & Beyond said they weren't going to do it. Kohl's said they weren't going to do it. Some of these other retailers as well. Now, the other retailers say, look, the, the reason we're dropping this isn't because of Lindell's politics. It's because, you know, we're, we're a business. And the sales of the MyPillow brand pillow have been cratering. Now, maybe it's because the market is saturated and everybody that wants a MyPillow brand pillow has purchased it. Or it might be that all sorts of other people who otherwise would have purchased the MyPillow brand pillow are deciding that they're, they, they don't want to buy one because... They don't want to associate themselves, no matter how great the product is, with a company whose CEO has the political opinions that he has. Now, th- this is starting to play out in other areas as well. There, there's a company called Bar Products, which makes makes stuff for, for bars. Like if you're a bartender and you wanted a cocktail shaker or a strainer or a, steel gla- you know, a stainless steel jigger, you'd order it from Bar Products. That's what they make. And the CEO and founder of Bar Products is a guy named Mark Hastings. Now, he is somebody who was at the Capitol on January 6th, the day of the riots at the Capitol. He wasn't a guy that went into the Capitol, so he hasn't been charged criminally or anything like that. He was just a guy who was there. He was there for the rallies. He took a picture of himself apparently outside the um, outside the Capitol, but he, he didn't go in, so he didn't commit any crimes or anything like that. But you know, he, he was there, and he was a supporter of the president at the rally. And what he's finding now is that there's a lot of people who are not ordering from his company anymore, and they sell most of their stuff on the Internet, because of his association with Donald Trump. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. On yesterday's program, I had somebody called up and said, oh, you guys talk about this cancel culture. That, that's that's just a made-up thing. And and as I said yesterday, I couldn't disagree with that more. The, the cancel culture is alive and well, and I think it's going to be something that's going to be 
interesting to see how far it goes and how much it plays out over the course of the next couple years as people become more emboldened with trying to silence people whose ideas aren't necessarily politically correct or aren't appropriate, at least in, in their minds. All right, but having said that, I guess the question becomes, if, if Bed Bath & Beyond and Kohl's decide they're not going to carry my pillow because for whatever reason the sales of my pillow have gone down dramatically, is that the cancel culture? If this guy who runs this bar products website, if he finds that people aren't patronizing it because they're unhappy with his political opinions, is that the cancel culture or is that just free enterprise? I mean, if people decide that, you know what, this is, this is what your politics are, right or left, and as a result, um, I don't want to do business with you, or alternatively, I do want to do business with you. Isn't that the right uh, of individual people to make that decision? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no doubt, for example, that Mike Lindell's overt political stuff has, in some circles, hurt the MyPillow brand. And that some people who aren't buying my pillow. At the same time, I have a I have no doubt that there's other people who might not have ever considered purchasing a my pillow brand pillow who because they appreciate his support of President Trump that, that now they're gonna go out and they're gonna buy three my pillows when they would have never bought one. But regardless, I don't see this as the cancel culture. I see this as just one of the risks that happens when you have CEOs or people prominently attached to companies who decide that they want to make themselves public figures. This, to me, is different than, hey, there's a guy who's an accounting clerk that works for the Jeff Wagner Widget Company, and he took a picture of himself out at the Capitol. Or you know, he posted some stuff on Facebook saying how he's going to vote for Ron Johnson or whatever. This isn't going after that person. That's a different story. But when you're the CEO, when you're the public face of a company, and you decide that you are going to align yourself with a particular cause, you got to understand that some people, are that's going to be appealing, and some people it's just going to be a turnoff to. But I don't think it's the cancel culture. I just think it's the risk you take. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's the risk that a guy like Mike Lindell or this other guy takes. It's a risk that you take when you decide that, you know, you want to, as the public face of a company, you want to get involved and play in politics. And some of it's going to be good and some of it's going to be bad. But I don't think this is the cancel culture. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. See, I've never been a proponent of these organized boycotts, which, which, as a practical matter, never work. I mean, remember a number of years ago, at the height of the Act 10 stuff, you had people on the left who would try to identify business owners who had donated to Scott Walker's campaign and then say, okay, well, you, you shouldn't buy this particular type of milk or you shouldn't buy this particular type of, of pizza. And, and it almost always backfires because in those cases, for every one person that says, okay, I'm not going to buy X pizza, three people say, well, you know what, we're going to go out and we're going to buy this pizza. And we know we're, we're not going to allow this particular brand to be canceled because 
cause of this. But this is a little bit different. I mean, in this it's a situation not where you have a CEO or the owners of a company who are choosing to support a cause because they're, you know, they, they think it's right, they're donating. You know, this is, if you look at the MyPillow situation, an example where somebody's decided to really become a, a public political face. And I think you have to understand that there are, there are risks and there are rewards to this. Um, let's go to a couple texts here. Jeff, regardless, left or right, businesses offend potential customers when they take sides. If they want to take risk in these uncertain times, I think they're not doing themselves or their customers any favors. Jeff, the MyPillow guy risked his brand, and now consumer sales are slowing down. This is not the cancel culture. Retailer, retailers stop carrying a product that isn't selling. Now, I understand that some people don't believe that. I'm getting some texts. Oh, it, it, it couldn't be that all of a sudden things stopped at, at Bed Bath & Beyond or Kohl's. Well, I, what the retailers say is that the sales of my pillow have been going down for a while, and they're constantly looking at the brands they carry, and they're trying to assess, all right, you know, what what's selling and what's not. And at that point in time, I think, you know, it's reasonable. Um, let's, that, you know, if, if your brand isn't selling, Period. Um, that's the issue. Jeff, do you remember a few years back when the owner of Penzi Spices was applauded for his remarks against Trump? Well, it, it, Bill Penzi is a big-time lefty. He is a guy that pretty much hates a strong word, but he does not think much of Republicans. and He has no problem using his business newsletter to convey that. And that's a classic e- example of this. The decisions that Bill Penzi takes has undoubtedly cost him a bunch of customers, you know, who decide, okay, well, we're we're just not going to patronize the guy's store. On the other hand, I mean, the stuff I've seen says that it's also brought him a lot of customers because you have a lot of people who say, "Ah, right on, I'm I'm glad that this guy is saying these things, I'm glad he's speaking out, and I wouldn't have otherwise bought spices from his company, but now I'm going to do it. Well, that's the risk you run when you decide that you want to get in the middle of it. But you have to understand that it's not the cancel culture, it's not organized boycotts or things like that, it's just a simple scenario of... If you want to decide that you're going to take sides, be prepared to experience the fallout. And in the case of, for example, the MyPillow guy, it's it's a risk that he took. I don't know if ultimately it's going to pan out or not, because like I say, even if Kohl's or Bed Bath & Beyond drop the product, my guess is there's a lot of other people that are buying these things hand over fist on the Internet. You know, time will tell, but this isn't the cancel culture. This is just the effect of, hey, mixing business and politics. Back with more in just a couple minutes, this is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show on a sunny Tuesday afternoon. So glad to have you with us. I call this segment, Do Not Fence Me In. One of the great cities in North America, maybe in the entire world, is Washington, D.C. In another life, I had an opportunity to 
spend a lot of time in, in Washington, D.C., and I had, a, I had a ritual when I had a little bit of downtime, and that is that I, I, I would always go over and I'd start at the Washington Monument, then you'd see the reflecting pool, and you'd walk over to the Lincoln Memorial, and I just it doesn't matter how many times you've ever been there. It's just blown away by that. And then you look at the Lincoln Memorial, and then you take a right, and you walk down this little hill, and there's the Vietnam Veterans Wall, which is just an incredible, uh, again, it's just a moving experience. There's no doubt about that. Then on top of that, there's all the other stuff in Washington, whether it's the National Art Gallery or whether it's the various Smithsonian museums that are there. And I would always try to make a point, time permitting, I try to walk over to, to the Capitol. And it's just... It's such a cool experience being able to walk into the Capitol building, and they'd have security and things like that. But but you could you could walk around. You you could you could go up to your congressman's door, and you know you you could go in and you could talk to the the secretary. Maybe you'd even see the congressman, and you'd have an opportunity to go in if Congress was in session. You could go in. You could sit in the gallery. It, it was it was open. And it was such an incredibly cool experience. Now, we all know what happened, what, about a month ago, uh, January 6th, you had the, the Capitol riots. And what happened was law enforcement engaged in what I would think is, can be fairly described as a complete failure. Law enforcement was caught unprepared for what was going to happen. Law enforcement was caught undermanned, and they were just simply overwhelmed by, by the crowd. I also recognize that there's, there are, there's a certain ugly underbelly of American society, and it, it's on the right, and it's also on the left, and you have these people who, um, through acts of violence or whatever, would like to bring down our, our various institutions. And you see those people on the streets of Portland, Oregon, on a nightly basis, and you certainly saw them in the nation's capital on, on January 6th. So you have this incident at the Capitol. It is brought under control, and there's a loss of life. It was a horrible situation. But in the aftermath of that, what they did, and they decided, okay, we're going to essentially turn the capital into an, an armed camp. And what we're going to do is we're going to take all this fencing and we're going to put up fencing all around the capital and we're going to try to cut off access to the capital from the, the general public. And, and they did that in the immediate aftermath of what happened on January 6th, in part because you had the inauguration that was coming up, and there were concerns that, gee, there, there might be you know other people that are going to be coming to Washington, D.C. with the idea of trying to overthrow the government. And it, it turned out, thankfully, that that wasn't the case. But now you've still got all this fencing that's up there. And the question is, what, what do we do moving forward at the nation's capital? Do we say, all right, we're going to turn this essentially into an armed camp. We're going to put up the, the barriers. We're going to replace the temporary fencing with a permanent wall. We're going to have all these structures that are there. We're going to have checkpoints that you have to go through in order to even get on the Capitol grounds. All the kids who used to go out and, and sled, Capitol Hill was was very prominent sledding. You know, you get snow, people would run out there, they'd, they'd go down there on sleds. People would wander around regularly at, at the Capitol in, you know, enjoying what I, I think is, you know, a, a tribute to democracy. Well, right now, that's all been clamped down on. Now, clearly, you know, you have things that happen. After September 11th, air travel changed dramatically. 
And if, if you can remember, before 2001, you always had airport security, but it was nothing like we, we have now. It's a completely different world. So I guess the question that people are wrestling with is, all right, what do we do moving forward? Do you turn Washington, D.C. essentially into an armed camp? Do we erect the permanent barriers? Do we put up defenses? Or do we recognize that, well, okay, maybe what happened on January 6th was a failure of law enforcement to to react, a failure to anticipate the threat. But is it an overreaction to say, okay, so now we're going to go to the other extreme. We're, we're going to put up walls. We're going to put up fences. We're going to put up checkpoints. We're going to shut off the nation's capital to the people of the nation. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. My response is, and this is from somebody, again, who, who loves going to Washington, D.C., I hope we do not overreact. I mean, I, I look, I just like what, what happened in Kenosha during the Kenosha riots was, was horrible. It was an example of how law enforcement underreacted, got overwhelmed, didn't appreciate the suddenness of the threat, and so you had all this stuff that happened. Well, to me, that's not a justification for closing down Kenosha, say, forever. And just like you wouldn't close down Kenosha forever based on the riots that happened there, I don't think you look at the nation's capital and say, all right, we had this horrible incident that occurred on January 6th, and so what we're going to do now is we're going to turn it into an armed camp. And for all the visitors who are going to come through, no more coming through the capital. We'll shut it off. That would be a terrible loss. And in many respects, if you do that, you you do let the crazies and the bad guys win. If you take away our freedoms, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if, like me, you, you've been to Washington, D.C., you know the area I'm talking about around the Capitol and stuff, all right, should we close it off? Is what happened on January 6th the justification for shutting it down? My answer would be Absolutely not. Now, do you need to be more mindful, perhaps, of demonstrations? And do you learn from what we did and didn't do properly on January 6th? Of course. But I don't want to see it turned into an armed fortress. Do you? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I always love it when we're advertising for pajama gram, and I always get these. We, we talked about this extensively, uh, but I think back during Christmas time when uh, we were doing some of the ads for pajama gram, and people, a handful of people, say, it's not pajama, it's pajama. And we went through that at the time, and actually, it is pajama. If you look at most common pronunciations, it's not, you don't say mama, you say, you know, mama. Pajama. You don't say llama. You sell. You say llama. And there's countless other examples of that. But I understand some people like to call them pajamas. 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 Doesn't matter. All right. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. After September eleventh, two thousand one, we completely changed the way we deal with security, particularly at airlines. Now you got to go through TSA. You've got to go through all these different checks that did not exist. Do we need to do that? Do you need to turn Washington, D.C. into an armed fortress? And, and my answer is, my answer is no. 
you can't just react to this one-off situation and say, all right, all of a sudden we're going to have to dramatically change how we do things, which isn't to say how you, you can't learn from that, and, and hopefully law enforcement has learned from this. But what happened on January 6th, I believe, was a one-off thing, and I would hate to see us now say as a result of that what we're going to do is we're going to shut down access to the the, the people's house, which is actually what that is. Jeff, you have no choice now because of the actions of terrorists. They were going to hang and shoot government officials. Well, all right, maybe that was the intention of a handful of them. Thankfully, they weren't allowed to complete that. But does that mean that, all right, now we're going to stop all access because of the actions of a few dozen or a couple hundred or whatever crazies, does that mean that you're not going to allow millions of people to come into the Capitol as they had in the past? Jeff, please don't let the children's tantrum on January 6th wreck it for our real children for generations to come. Yeah, see, that's that's the question that's out there, is how how far do you go? Jeff, the Capitol needs to go back to the way it was before. There's no difference than you have a mall shooting. We don't shut down the mall, and we don't put in metal detectors. We have to live normal lives. Well, yeah, I, I think that's it. You learn from these situations. You have the shooting at Mayfair Mall, all right, over over right before Christmas. All right, we, we discuss... What are different ways to try to prevent it from happening again and from making people safe? And what they decide they're going to do is they're going to decide they're going to increase the security presence. They're going to have dogs. They're going to start enforcing their, their curfew sort of things. They, they say, look, we're, we're going to try to deal with this, but you don't go to the extreme to say, okay, we're only going to have one entrance and exit open, and we're going to have the metal detectors, and we're going to do full body searches. They don't do that. They try to figure out what you need to do to deal with the, the the threats that are out there. And to me, to close off the Capitol, I think would be awful. Judy in McGuanago. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Judy. I, I, as, I was, as I was telling your uh, screener there before, uh, my husband and I went out there for the first time uh, about 8, 10 years ago. Now, you have to realize that we're now close to 80. And we just so enjoyed it, and we all, in fact, a year or two ago, we were going to go back, but then everything happened, and we sort of got uh, got put on the wayside. But when we went there, we got the true feeling of democracy. We got the feeling of freedom. We got the feeling that it those buildings really belonged to us, that we were just mm-hmm. able to walk in and walk out like we would at home. It wasn't the feeling that you see in a lot of like Russia or China where everything is locked, to put those mm-hmm. gate those fences up not only would take away from the looks of Washington DC, but it would literally take away that feeling of democracy. Yeah. Well, well absolutely. And I guess I, I Judy, I, I feel really strongly about this. It's look, if 
And I'm not saying that they can't do things better. I mean, I think we would all agree that what happened a couple weeks ago was a failure on a lot of different levels. And they, they should never have let all those people get to the Capitol. Obviously, on a daily basis, maybe you need more security in the Capitol. Maybe you need more metal detectors for people passing through. But the fact that you had a, a relative handful, dozens, hundreds of crazies, who decided to storm the Capitol and were able to get farther than they should, I think it would be terrible if that was now the basis and the justification for saying, okay, we're going to close down the Capitol for generations to come. I think that would be an overreaction. You we, you should be able to deal with potential threats and at the same time allowing public buildings to remain open to the public. Yeah, I I have two young grandchildren, and we would love to take them out there. But I will wait and see what they come up with before we do, because I would like them to get the same feeling of belonging to us that we got when yeah. we were there. Yeah, thanks for calling, Judy. Thank I appreciate you. it. Uh, and here's a note. Somebody, it would be a loss, but at the Capitol, especially when Congress is in session, it should be more secure than airports and the country's border. Well, I have... Again, I have, I'm not arguing against the, the idea of ratcheting up security. Uh, but, but at the same time, what, what happened on January 6th was, uh, it was an unusual, thankfully, it was an unusual circumstance brought about by a, a whole series of events that, that I, I don't think there's much likelihood that that whole series of events is, is ever going to happen again. And again, I, I think if you go back and you look at the, the way that all transpired, there's a lot of finger-pointing to go around. You know, what, why was the mob allowed to get that close to to the Capitol? You know, why wasn't there a larger security force that, that repelled them? All right, so those are all fair questions, and, and maybe when it comes to, you know, dealing with protests moving forward, maybe you need to change the rules, and maybe you need to be more aggressive, and that's all well and good, but the idea that we're just going to now use that as a justification for locking down areas that have been open to the general public for you know the last several hundred years to me to, to me that is the overreaction just like we wouldn't say all right we're, we're going to like the example i was giving we're, we're going to lock down madison because you had two nights of, of riots that were that went on in madison no you're not going to lock down madison you're going to learn from it so hopefully the next time a situation like that presents itself you, you know more about how to deal with it but this idea that oh we've got to just shut everything down and we can't have any sort of public access no i'm not with you on that one back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj why does not this not make me confident about government's ability to get us all vaccinated? Now, I look, I, I think there's a lot of criticism to go around about public agencies with federal government and state government over the course of the last nine or ten months. I, I will say this. With state government having known for the last 10 or 11 months that there was going to be a vaccine, the fact that we're, we're so ill-prepared to figure out how to distribute that vaccine, it, it's just it's mind-blowing to me. And I think it is a fair criticism to say to some of our elected officials, what, what were you doing? You know, what were you doing over the last 11 months? You knew that the way out of this was a vaccine. Don't you think you could figure out a way to uh, get this distributed so the people who need it 
are, are the ones that get it instead of the 33-year-olds who happen to just know somebody and are able to jump on it. Well, here's the latest example of, like, how can this, this happen? The headline in the local paper, Milwaukee County Vaccine Appointment Site for Emergency Workers Shut Down After Being Sent to the Public. A Milwaukee County website created for emergency medical workers to book vaccine appointments was shut down last week after the link was divulged to the general public. Okay, so they have this secure website, presumably, run by the county's Office of Emergency Management. And it's intended to let emergency workers and other people in the first wave, all right, book. Well, somehow, at least 100 people who aren't emergency workers got got wind of this and then booked appointment for themselves. The uh, spokesperson for the county executive says it wasn't supposed to be for the public. They had to shut down the booking link because of the influx of requests. And then, of course, the reporter asks, what is the $64,000 question? How did this get to the general public? This is supposed to be some secure link that emergency workers get access to. And their response was, we have no clue. You know, we, we, we have no clue. And then the director of the Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management says, we're not even able to figure out how the link was released. I mean, really. I mean, does this inspire confidence? You know, it's like, all right, we've got this link. It's supposed to be for emergency workers. Now everybody and their brother knows about it, and we can't even figure out how everybody and their brother was able to know about this. Again, it's... It's one of these things that says it shouldn't be this hard. We've had 10 or 11 months to try to figure this out, and yet you, you, can't, even, you can't even maintain a, a secure website that's supposedly for the emergency workers. And, and we think that government's going to be able to keep track of everybody that's going to be vaccinated over the course of the next six to nine months. I hope they're able to get their act together, but right now, based on what we've seen in Wisconsin and what we've seen in Milwaukee County and what we've seen in Ozaki County, we talked about that yesterday, I, there's nothing that gives you too much confidence that anybody knows what they're doing. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. More details are starting to emerge about this, this thing that happened in uh, South Florida Today, we, we talked a little bit about it on the news. Two FBI agents fatally shot three wounded while serving a, a warrant. And it's this is one of these stories that I want you to remember. If you, you're ever you're listening to the news or you're seeing something on television and it's like, well, the, the police, they showed up and they, they had these, this use of force and they, they knocked down the door and they had the dogs and they had all this stuff. You know, why, why were they doing stuff like that? It, this was just a routine thing. And it, this is a story that demonstrates how there is no such thing as, as a routine traffic stop. There's no such thing as a routine search warrant. Okay, now, this... This incident, two FBI agents dead, three more wounded. You would think when you first hear that story, it's like, oh, my God, what, what were they doing? Was this, was this a, a terrorist cell? Was this a group of hardcore you know, drug dealers that they were, were trying to get at? Was this you know, some homegrown militia? What was going on here? Well, no, it was they were serving a warrant for a guy who was suspected of possession of child pornography. 
I mean, it's it's not like you're necessarily going to go in and expect, okay, this is a situation where these people are going to be armed to the teeth and willing to have a shootout with the police. Um, apparently, so they go to execute the search warrant. The guy barricades himself in his home um, and then ends up shooting and killing himself. Um, two wounded FBI agents were transfer- transferred to the hospital, stable condition. Um, again, it's... They haven't identified the agents. Happened around six o'clock in the morning, but it was a child pornography case. I mean, it's a child pornography case. They're describing it as a routine search warrant to seize the suspect's computer and other evidence. Okay, so it's not exactly the situation where you expect that. Boom! All of a sudden, you're going to get into uh, again a life or death gun battle with some crazy, but yet that is precisely what happened. And I bring this up only again to emphasize that every time cops go out, every time FBI agents go out or DEA agents go out or ATF agents go out to do to do a search warrant, you take your life into your own hands because you never know what you're going to deal with. I, um, okay, in my career as a prosecutor, I, our office investigated some child pornography cases or porn, from time to time. I don't think I ever did a search warrant for them. I don't think I was ever involved directly in one. But I have to tell you that it, it would not necessarily have been one of those situations where you think, oh, you're going to get into a gun battle. It's not like, hey, you're taking down a, a drug house where you think there's going to be five people and a whole bunch of dope and a bunch of guns that are in there. It's like, okay, there, there's going to be a guy, and you're just trying to get his computer. You don't necessarily think that all of a sudden he's going to start firing on, on the police, and yet that is precisely what happened. So I, I lump this in the category of everybody who likes to second-guess law enforcement decisions and things of the like and, and say, oh, this is a routine traffic stop or this is a routine search warrant there is no such thing as a routine traffic stop or a routine search warrant i did also want to mention um a passing of somebody who maybe you're familiar if, if the name doesn't resonate with you his face certainly would hal holbrook passed away at the age of 95 hal holbrook i think you can make an argument that over the course of the last 50 years has been one of the most prolific and one of the true great American actors. He's best known probably for his portrayal of of Mark Twain. He did it on Broadway. He did it on, on theaters all across the, the country. Um, he, he did it on TV as well. But he, he made a, a career out of, again, his one-person stage show as Mark Twain, which was just incredible. But beyond that, the guy had an incredibly prolific career on television on movies he um if you're familiar with the movie all the president's men with robert redford dustin hoffman hal holbrook was the guy that played um deep throat the that that was the, the character that ultimately now we know was the fbi agent mark felt but he 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 was deep throat in in that movie he was in the movie lincoln about eight years ago, um, he played one of the Republican congressmen who was pushing very hard for, again, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation and um, the, the legislation that they were trying to push. But he, he's been into a, a ton of stuff. He was nominated for an Oscar at the age of 82 for his performance about 10 years ago, uh, Into the Wild. He was a retired military man. He, At the time, he at 82, he was at the time the oldest 
man ever nominated for the best uh, supporting actor Oscar. But again, you just you, you go through this guy's career. He did a lot of he did situation comedy TV stuff. He was on uh, Designing Woman Women. He was on Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds. He was in the miniseries North and South. I mean, it just you you look at the man's resume and what you see is just a, a who's who and a, a what's what of really you know television and movie culture over the last 50 years he was just a great performer and he's one of those actors who made anything he was in better he passes away at the age of 95 if you haven't seen anything Hal Holbrook's done uh, rent rent one of the movies rent Lincoln and look at his performance um, rent into the wild if you can get if you can track down his is one person stage performance Mark Twain do it he's just somebody who made anything he was in better Passes away at the age of 95. Sail on, Hal Holbrook. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left before I turn it over to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. But yesterday, during the 2 o'clock hour, I think we were having this conversation about the future of cash. And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal about how people are more and more reluctant to use cash because of, of the pandemic. And I was telling the story about how I, I used to be a guy that for anything other than a relatively large purchase, I, I would pay cash for a variety of different reasons. And I, I've kind of changed, especially over the last couple of years. And what's really caused me to change is the, the fact that I, I like I like some of these credit cards, and I like some of the the bonus plans that they have. And the one I use the most um, is is through an airline because I I've started traveling more on the airlines, and it's it's amazing how quickly those those points add up from the purchases. And I've been using it to get free or reduced airfare or things like that. And and so now it's pretty much you know anytime there's a, a purchase that I'm going to be making, I, I put it on the airline travel card because I want the miles, and I've been I've been using them aggressively. Now, ever ever since I said that, interestingly enough, I, I we were talking about the context of our people using credit cards instead of cash. Got a lot of feedback, both pro and con, from people who were talking about why they use credit cards. And it was interesting because number of people were saying, Jeff, you know, we used to have the airline credit cards too, but we've really stopped because you know, travels become more difficult. So we we've started using things other than the the airline cards. And there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal not that long ago: airline cards lose luster, luster as coronavirus um, persists. And it talks about how for for years people have been doing what. I'm doing now, which is, you know, you put your charges on that to get the mileage so then you can fly places. But as people are, are not flying as much, people are turning to other types of cards for other types of bonuses. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Only got a couple minutes, but I, I do admit I, I'm intrigued by this. What's in your wallet? If you are one of the people, and I know you probably are, who, again, uses your credit card because you want cash back or points or you want customer loyalty at a particular store, 
what what is it that is driving that? Is it airline miles? Is it no? I, I like the cash back I'm getting. No, I like the fact that I get a credit at Costco or whatever. So that's why I do it. Right? When you make the decision to get that credit card, what is it that's motivating you? What is the incentive that is tripping your trigger? For me. Lately, it's been, again, the, the airline miles that I found that I've, I've been using. 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is in your wallet? And, and more importantly, why? 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is it that motivates you with the whole universe of credit cards that are out there and the different choices that you have what is it that's motivating you as to why you've got one card in your wallet as opposed to another? Um, Jeff, I use my Target card for 5% off on all purchases, which basically saves me the sales tax. So that's why I have the Target card. Um, Jeff, as far as credit card goes, goes, first, I like the points for cash back. Second, I hate to keep track of receipts for returns, and most places do a card lookup. Jeff, my Capital One, that's the one where she's saying, what's what's in your wallet? My Capital One gives me points to use at Amazon. Can't go wrong at that. Jeff, I daily use the Apple Card and the Apple Pay at 2%. Um, except uh, Chase Freedom Unlimited for 5% on groceries and 3% on restaurants. Okay, so that's she's creative. She's saying, okay, I use one card here, I use one card somewhere else. Jeff, I'm with you. Definitely the airline miles are a priority for me. Jeff, we have Citibank, 2% cash back. We cash out 750 to $800 per year. Jeff, cashback cards are free money. You end up leaving nothing on the table. Okay, 855-616-1620. What's in your wallet? Tom in Kenosha. Tom, good afternoon. Jeff, good afternoon. Great topic. Um, okay, well, I'm just curious. The, what's in your wallet? <laughs> here, well, I just opened up my wallet to double check, and I've got the uh, Capital One Quicksilver Visa Signature Credit Card. Okay, that's and a mouthful. Why, why do you have that card? I've got this card because it's got zero um, surcharges, zero service fees annually, but biggest thing is 1.5% cash back. Now, the really cool part about this is, now, I like to shop on Amazon Prime. Prime actually ties your rewards points into the checkout. So if I wanted to purchase something on Amazon Prime, it, it automatically takes these rewards points and pays for my purchase. Okay. So it's okay. So it's, so it's convenient. You think you're, you're really getting a pretty good deal on all this, huh? Um, I do, and I do make sure it's paid off every month. But um, right. Oh yeah. I think it's safe. I'd rather put the I'd rather put the um, the security burden in the credit card companies. Right. Lap. Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. It's all these different considerations. And I, and I, I do remember, I, I've started looking at this more because i got a couple of different credit cards. And it's been, okay, first of all, is there an annual fee? You know, what what are you paying to get the, the money back if you're paying anything? You know, what are you paying to get the miles? Where does this all come in? So, I mean, I do think, 
you, you got to be up on this, but I've certainly been doing it. Jeff, um, it's all about the cash back. Different cards for different reimbursements based on retailers. I do use my cards for nearly everything. Jeff, my wife and I use cash way more. Um, we make a budget each month and only carry enough cash to pay for what we need. It deters impulse buying. Jeff, um, let's see, moths are in my wallet. Jeff, I love the Sky Miles, but it's been a little discouraging lately with the lack of traveling. I guess I will keep accumulating miles until I can fly comfortably. Yeah, I will I will say this. I've been, and, I, and I've, I've booked a couple trips over the next you know few months. I was actually pleasantly surprised with how easy it was, at least on, on my card, how easy it was to translate the points into flights. And I was surprised at, at how cheap some of them became by using the points. Now, again, you'd have to sit back and you'd say, okay, well, if you put on another card and you were getting the cash back, would you still be ahead of the game? And I haven't gotten quite that ambitious yet. But but there are all sorts of deals that are out there. And I think for people who've just been using a credit card because, okay, this is the credit card I've had since I was you know, 22 years old, and I just always keep using it, I think you might be missing out on something because as more and more people do use the cards, there's more and more... You know, there's more and more competition for your business. And whether it's air miles or cash back or discounts at Target or whatever, you certainly want to find the one that best suits you. All right, when we come back, speaking of best suiting us, it's Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure and Melissa Barkley. We'll find out what they have on their mind in just a minute. Please stick around.